Well, good morning again. I'm sorry. Good afternoon. Happy Sabbath once more. And uh, it's good to be back. I've been gone for about a month for some sort of scheduling reason. I don't know why it happened that way, but uh, uh, we had AOI in the sandwich between those two weeks that I've been missing. But uh, I really thank the Lord for the time that we spent at AOI as well. For those I'm sure that attended were blessed by the messages that we received from the speakers there. But anyways, we are going to look at a short passage in John this morning, this afternoon rather, but we'll not be continuing from the consecutive chapter. We'll pick that up next week as we continue in John 10. But today, I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 17 and verse 3. And before we do that, let's bow our heads forward to prayer, shall we? Father, as we're about to open your word, I pray that you please guide us, lead us with your spirit, speak to each of our hearts, O Lord, and may Jesus Christ be uplifted today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. John 17, verse 3. John chapter 17, verse 3, the Bible says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You know, to be intimately acquainted with God, to know Him, is to love Him. And uh, John knows a thing or two about this experience. Do you know that? I mean, in his gospel, he is described as the one whom Jesus loved. Not because Jesus chose a favorite, but because John's heart desired Jesus more than any of the other disciples. And it was his desire to know Jesus more than any of the other disciples. And when, when you look at the Gospels, um, that word know in the Greek comes up the most in the book of John, 71 times, more than the other three Gospels added together. Do you know that? It's all about knowing Jesus. Eternal life is all about knowing Jesus. And in fact, when you look through the New Testament, the only other books that, that come close to it are Acts, 1 Corinthians, and 1 John, which was also written by John the disciple. So really, John knows a thing or two about knowing God. For eternal life really is all about knowing Him. And throughout the Gospel John, actually, it really is divided into two groups those that know God and those that don't. Please come with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Let's go there. John chapter 1, the gospel is introduced this way as well. John chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus came to the world, and not many people, even the nation of Israel, knew Him. But I want to remind you and make this the emphasis of the sermon this morning, that eternal life is all about this one thing. What is it? Knowing God, to know Him. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 63. We're going to spend a bit of time in the book of Psalms today, but Psalm 63 is the key chapter that we'll be looking at. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 all the way to verse 6. Pardon me, verse 8. So, 
Psalm 63, and we're starting here in verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary, because Thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise Thee. I will bless Thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in Thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise Thee with joyful lips. When I remember Thee upon my bed and meditate on Thee in the night watches, because Thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of Thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after Thee, Thy right hand upholdeth Thee. You know, in this short eight verses, it's not the whole chapter, but in this short eight verses, there are 18 times. Do you know that? If you go back and count it, 18 times it is mentioned, you, thee, thy, it's all about God. It's so interesting. In this prayer that David prays, it's not about me, my needs, I need help, my life, my wisdom. In, in, in this eight verses, it was, I seek you, I desire you, I thirst for you, I long for you, your power, your loving kindness. In this eight verses, it was all about God. Here is a man that knew God. Here is a man that made it all about God. Here is a man when he prayed, it was all about him. Or in the words of John, he must increase, I must decrease. You know, too often when we pray, we make it all about us. Do you know that? My life, my problems, my issues. We pray about our needs, our families, our spouse, our children, my health. But here in this chapter, David made it all about God. And I'm telling you, David was a man who knew God. He was the one that God said what? He is the man after my own heart. Not because David was God's favorite, just like John, but because David desired God above anything in this world. Let me show you. Let's go to Psalms 42. This this way that he wrote was not isolated to just one chapter in the book of Psalms. Do you know that? Psalms chapter 42, and we're starting in verse 1. This was always David's desire, not just in Psalms 63. Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? He asks, when can I appear before you? It's almost as if he is waiting and waiting for the Sabbath to come, to come into his sanctuary, to come into his presence. David longed after God. Let's go to Psalms 143. Look at this. Psalms 143, and we're reading verses 5 and 6. I'm sorry, I had them on the slides here, I forgot. 
Psalms 143, verse 5 and 6, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the works of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Selah. What's happening just before this? In, in this chapter, what's very interesting is what we read before this. But when you read these verses by itself, it's just, it's just like David sitting there in his devotion. God, I long for you. I'm thinking about you. I'm thirsting for you. But look at what he reads, just, what, what he writes just before this. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell where? In darkness, as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is what? Desolate. Do you know what King David is going through? This is not just any ordinary devotional life. Oh, the birds are chirping. It's a nice, beautiful day. I think about all your works. That's what it sounds like, isn't it? When you read verses 5 and 6, when we go back to this, it's like, I'm just thinking about the work of your hands. I'm stretching my arms out to you, Lord. I thirst for you. But actually, King David was going through persecution. More than once, his life was being hunted. Once by his son, and then also by King Saul, the first king of Israel. You know, if there was anybody that had much to complain about, it would have been King David. But even as he was being persecuted, even as he was dwelling in darkness, in the caves and in the deserts and in the mountains, here he is sitting there, and he's praying what? God, I thirst after you. I can't wait to be in your presence. I'm thinking about the works of your hands. As he's running and he's resting and he's hiding and he's looking at the trees, he's thinking about God. Isn't that amazing? This was the desire of King David. Psalms chapter 1 verse 2, you know, he always did this. His delight was in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalms 3 verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. Psalms chapter 3 verse 8, salvation belongeth to the Lord. That was written when David was running from Absalom. Do you know that? And yet he says, I cried unto the Lord and he heard my voice. You know, friends, eternal life is all about knowing God. Why? Because if you have God, you have everything. If you have God, no matter if mortal man may take your life, you still have life eternal. We ought not to be afraid about anything except if God is not with us. And King David, he came to that realization. He came to that conclusion. If I have God, I don't have to be afraid of anything. If I have God, I have life. If I have God, I don't have to fear what man may do to me. If I have God, if I know Him, I have everything. I have eternal life. And that was what spurred him to write Psalm 63. Do you know that? You know, when we go back to that chapter, I'd like to invite you to go back 
turn your Bibles back to Psalm 63. Even in your electronic Bible, usually there's a little subheading as to who wrote it. Now, King David, he did not write all the Psalms. Do you know that? There are some that are written by Asaph, A-S-A-P-H. You'll find that, and, and it says sometimes a Psalm of Asaph. But for the most part, King David did write most of the book of Psalms. And Psalm 63 was one of those. If you would read through that from the first eight verses, it's all about God. But read the, the subheading. What do you see there? At the top of the chapter, you will see that when David was in the wilderness, he was in the wilderness of Judah. And this was when he was a fugitive running from King Saul. Do you see that? He was a fugitive. He was a man being hunted, trying to kill him. That's what King Saul was doing. And here, he doesn't ask for any temporal advantage. He didn't ask for protection. He didn't ask for food or water. His only request was what? That I would be in your presence, your loving kindness, your joy, your presence. He was in the middle of the wilderness. Do you understand that? No water, no shade. And not once does he cry, God, I need these temporal things. He's crying out to God to say what? I desire you. I remember you, your loving kindness, your presence, your guidance, your leading. He remembers God in the midst of his persecution and his affliction. Friends, Let's be honest with ourselves and be frank with each other this morning. When those things happen, the first thing that we let go is God, isn't it? I don't feel like doing my devotion. Sound familiar? I don't feel joyful. So if I don't feel joyful, nothing's going to register. But here is King David, sitting in the middle of the wilderness, and he says what? Early will I seek you. He says things like, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. As he's sitting there thirsty with no water, he's saying, God, yes, I'm thirsty for water, temporal water, but I'm more thirsty for you. He should have prayed, God, I'm thirsty, I'm about to die. I've done nothing wrong. Please save my life, right? But not even once does he say that. He says, I long to see your power and your glory so as I have seen you in the sanctuary. His prayer, it was all about God. It was all about Him. Why? Because it didn't matter. It didn't matter if King Saul took his life. Was he still going to run? Yes. Was he still going to hide? Yes. But was that his primary concern? No. Why? Because if King Saul was to take his life and he had that relationship with Jesus, he had nothing to fear. You know, friends, when we're busy, 
when we're troubled, when we're feeling angry or persecuted. Let our thoughts be centered upon God. It's got to be a constant habit. It doesn't come when we get baptized. It doesn't come after seven days of doing our devotion and not missing a single day. No, friends. It comes after weeks and months of making it a habit of focusing on Christ. And then it comes, I'll tell you when. When you catch yourself complaining and then your friend or your spouse calls you and says, hey, Ben, remember what you preached? You get reminded about that. It comes in the midst of that persecution when you're tempted to complain and you see someone else going through something worse than yourself and you remind yourself, how can they praise God? It comes when in the most unexpected moments where we've learned to make God our habit and our all. Because eternal life really is all about knowing God. And you know, friends, sometimes we go through these difficult situations in life. Why? So that God would teach us to go to our knees. That God would teach us, hey, in the midst of all of this, now you can remember me. And sometimes it's through that that we can praise God because He reminds us that we need Him more than ever, isn't it? But it's through these dark situations in our lives that we can learn to praise God, even when it seems like there's nothing to praise Him for. Do you understand that? Many times our praises is dependent upon our experience, isn't it? I praise God for safety, I praise God for health, everyone else was sick and I wasn't. It's our experiences that we have. But then if we are to praise God like King David, we have to readjust how we look at our experiences then. Which is what? I praise God for the wonderful devotion that I had this morning. God spoke to my heart. He reassured me that He would be with me. And even though I went through this tough time, I praise God for His Word. Do you see that? It, it changed in not what I'm experiencing from the external, from other people, from situations, and from life, but the praise now comes when I'm sitting at the feet of Jesus. Do you see that? So that no matter what happens then, we can still praise God. Amen? Our praises are not then dependent upon what man does to us or what we experience in this life, but it's the sort of experience we have in His Word. It's almost as if I can imagine after David closes the book of whatever he had from the writings of Moses and a few other of the prophets, it's almost as if I can imagine there as he closes the book, he's so sad to have to move on to the rest of his day. That throughout the rest of his day, he's sitting there and saying, God, I can't wait to be back in your presence. I can't wait to sit at the feet of Jesus again and to learn of him and to read of his word and to, to study about him. That even as I'm not there, I'm thinking about you, God. 
And so whatever happens to him on the outside, it doesn't matter. Because there's something he can still look forward to at the end of the day or the beginning of the next day. His praises then, you realize, were not centered on his experience. Because David really had a lot to complain about. Right? He didn't ask to be king. He was just a humble shepherd boy. Just a little patch of grass there where he took care of his father's sheep. He never asked for this. Samuel was one that came and anointed him. God, I never asked for this. Why? Right? But his praises were not dependent upon his experience. Psalms 27. Let's go there in our Bibles. It's not on the slides. Psalms 27, verses 1 to 4. The Bible says this. Psalms 27, verses 1 to 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you see that? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came up to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. What is it? Verse 4, we sing this. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. He understood what it meant to be in God's presence. He understood what it meant to know God. You know, friends, in the book of Philippians 3.10, Paul writes that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings made, being made conformable unto death. Do you know when we get to know Him, even death is not a scary thought. Do you know that? Why? Because of the power of His resurrection. We have nothing to be afraid of of. The only thing Paul had to consider was what? Do I know you? Do I know you? And friends, when we have that, Christ's object lessons writes, as the sinner drawn by the power of Christ approaches the uplifted cross and prostrates himself before it, there is a new creation. A new heart is given him. He becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus. When we have that, friends, our praises are different. Our thanksgiving is different. It's not situational anymore. Have you seen Paul's resume before? He's listed it out before. Do you know that? He was, he was whipped. He was shipwrecked, stuck on an island, bitten by a snake, put in prison. How many times attempted to be killed? How many times by his own countrymen? He lists out his long resume. Do you know that? Nothing to be envious of. And yet he says at the end of it, 
he can sit with Christ in heavenly places. It was all about knowing Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, today as we sit here, there's one thing that I see as a common thread that runs through our lives as a struggle. It's all about knowing Him. Do you know Satan desires more than anything else to keep the knowledge of Christ out of our hearts? Why? Light and darkness cannot exist together. When Christ comes into our heart, it kicks Satan out. When Christ comes in and the knowledge of His Word comes into our life, there's no room for Satan to work. When we know Christ, we have nothing to do with the devil. And the greatest thing that the devil desires is to keep Christ out of our hearts. You know, friends, it's not about sinning. Sin is the end product of not knowing Jesus. Do you know that? It's not, don't do this and don't do that and make sure you do this and make sure you do that and make sure you keep the Sabbath holy, blah, blah, blah. We go on about that, isn't it? But that's not the end goal. The end goal really is this simple, to know Jesus Christ and to let others to know about Him through our lives as well, for Christ to shine through it. It should be the goal of every Christian. As we study in the book of Romans chapter 10, how can they believe except a preacher is sent to preach to them? How can we spread the knowledge of Christ except unless we know Him first? The fellowship of His sufferings. Dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you if we are to put any effort in our Christian life, it's not about coming to church. It's not. The effort that we have to make is to open the Bible and get those words into our hearts. For eternal life is not about keeping the Ten Commandments. Eternal life is not about becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. Eternal life it's not about making sure you dress with a suit and tie. And I'm not saying this because I'm not doing it anymore. But it's not about any of these Christian standards that we talk about, that we uphold, that are important about the truth. But it's all about Jesus, friends. It's all about Christ. And if you know Him, you will keep His commandments. If you know Him, you will desire to be in His presence. If you know Him, you'll desire for Him to shine through you to everybody in this world. If you know Him, all these other things will come in. I want to share a story with you about a high school reunion. I don't know if it was a true story or not, but it was just an interesting story that I want to repeat to you. But you know those high school reunions? They happen like every 30, 40 years. And the people that usually come are those that have usually made something of themselves. Those that are serving in McDonald's after 40 years, they probably won't come to these high school reunions, you know. And so all these friends, they, they, they came back and the people, they came back and they began to share what they've accomplished. Oh, I'm a doctor, I'm a businessman, I'm a CEO, uh, you know, the usual. 
But then came this man that no one expected to show up. He was a stutterer. You know what a stutterer was, is? They, 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 they repeat, repeat they were the, the words. He was a stutterer. And no one thought he would make anything of his life. And so finally it came to his turn. And they were all wondering what he was doing here. So they asked him, so, what did you accomplish in your life? And he got up and he says, well, this is what I accomplished. I got to know Christ. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> no big deal. And he said, I pray that you will all get to know Christ too. All right, sure. But they're wondering what he was doing here. So what did you accomplish? What did you do? And he said, well, if you really must know, I'm a dentist today. And they were all really shocked. They were wondering how he managed to become a dentist. And he said, well, you know, when I knew Christ, I couldn't hold it in. I wanted to tell everybody about the, the wonderful good news that I received. But you know, I stutter. So people never had patience to sit there and let me teach them and to share with them. So I decided to become a dentist. After I gave them the shot and I get into their mouth, they have no option but to listen. So now they'll be patient and I can take all the time I want to to tell them about Christ. But he said, every single one of my patients, when they step in, after I give them the shot, I say to them, you know what? Don't be afraid that I'm a stutterer because God is the one that's holding my hand. And he says, I have a prayer for them. And as they leave my office, they say, besides the good treatment that I give them, they also get some peace and joy that they don't get in any other places. And they all ask me, ask me, would you pray for me as well? You know, that's the prayer for not just a stutterer who seems to have found Christ, but it should be the prayer of those that hold this precious jewel in their hand that Christ offers to them so freely. This should be the prayer of every Christian. This should be the prayer of every child of God. But where does it begin? It begins with getting to know Christ yourself. When you taste of His goodness, you cannot but help yourself to tell others of Christ. And this is my appeal to all of us here, that this week, let's put last week aside. Whether you spend time in your devotion or not, that's irrelevant. The fact that you're sitting here this morning, it's called grace. It's a free gift. Maybe we didn't deserve to have our lives prolonged until this moment. Do you know that? But the fact that we're sitting here this morning, it shows a work of God's grace in our heart. God's giving us another chance 
He wants to get to know you. He's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, my son, my daughter, won't you let me in? In spite of all that you've done and whatever you've done to neglect me and push me away, I'm still waiting. You know, God is not like us. You don't want me, I don't want you. I'll go find another friend. No. You don't want God? He still stands there and he waits. And he waits. And he watches. And he waits. And today, he's waiting for each and every one of us. Why don't we let him in? Why don't we open the door of our hearts to let him come in? This is my earnest prayer for each and every one of you, and for myself as well. Before your life moves you in the morning, before your health, before your job, before your children, before your spouse, before anybody or anything in this world, let's learn to prioritize God first. Let's desire Him as King David desired Him. Let's desire Him as John the Apostle desired Him, who saw in Him all the beauty of the Godhead. Let's make that earnest effort to let Him into our hearts today. And today we don't have a closing song. I just want us to sing the chorus, Into My Heart, Into My Heart. And may that be our prayer. May that be our earnest desire to God Let's sing it, shall we? Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, Lord, you've been waiting for us. Maybe this past week, maybe even this past month, but you're still waiting. And Lord, I want to thank you that you've not given up on us. In all the things that we've done, you still stand there ready, waiting, hoping that we would respond. Father, please, be with all of us here this morning. As we are renewing our covenant with you, as we're making a recommitment to you again, I pray that you would help us and endeavor to spend that time with you. Lord, a relationship is not built in a day, but help us to begin that journey of a thousand steps by taking that first step towards you. Lord, I pray that you'd guide each of us. And no matter the busyness of our life, the distractions that may come our way, help us, Lord, in this next week to be found walking closer to you that truly you dwell in each of our hearts, that you teach us what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Lead us, O Lord, guide each and every one of us, help us to see and remember your goodness and your grace to each of us. Thank you, Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.